This is the Money Seed Podcast, where we discuss all things investing, plain and simple, the way it should be. Please remember, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment advice. Welcome to Money Seed Podcast. Today we have with us Gabe Sforey, Chris Ferguson, and today we're talking about the World Economic Forum. Hey, Chris, how are you? Good. How are you, Gabe? Fantastic. Glad to be here. So you will be leading this conversation today. What are we learning about the World Economic Forum? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, I, we've heard a lot about the World Economic Forum. They tend to pop up on all kinds of discussions all over the news, all over the internet, and it is slowly becoming a household term. And so I thought we should cut through on some of the maybe misconceptions about what it is and what it isn't and why you should know about the World Economic Forum and you know whether or not you agree with their the, the premise or their arguments or their worldview i don't think we're here to talk about what is or isn't a good or bad worldview it's just that i think people should at least be aware of it sounds good all right so the world economic forum was started by this gentleman here his name is klaus schwab and he's been around for a long time um, he is a professor and he created the first version of the World Economic Forum back in the early 1970s. Back then, it had a different name, had a very small following. And it was a regular meeting on discussing this idea of stakeholder capitalism. And you can see these are just some of the many books Mr. Schwab has written, Stakeholder Capitalism, COVID-19, and The Great Reset. Um, And so these are books that are widely available, um, not secretive. I mean, This screenshot I took is from amazon.com from earlier today, but you can find them everywhere. And he's been pushing this idea of stakeholder capitalism for the better part of five decades, but it wasn't really until the last, I would say, 15 years or so where the world economic has really started to gain traction. Their their annual get-togethers in Davos, Switzerland have gotten more and more of a following. They've gotten much more media coverage. And as a result, it's a self-feeding mechanism. The more media coverage you have, the more high-profile people that show up, the more high-profile people that show up, the more they tweet about it, the more it goes on the news, which means they get ever bigger and ever bigger. And so right now they are quite large, and we're going to get to just how quite large they are uh, in about 10, 15 minutes as we get deeper into this presentation. But as a quick introduction, that's who the World Economic Forum is. It's the brainchild of Dr. Klaus Schwab. So why don't we talk a little bit about stakeholder capitalism? And the idea of stakeholder capitalism is Dr. Schwab wants to reimagine capitalism, right? So today, capitalism is this idea where two or more people can start a business, and most people start a business because they want to make some money, right? Um, You want to start a company, you want to maybe offer a service or whatever, and you get together with a few people you know, and you start a business because you want to enrich yourself, right? Um, a lot of people start a business because they prefer it to working, for example. So you can have a small business or you can start a big company, whatever. But the idea there is you're going to make money. I mean, not many businesses survive if they don't make money. And the idea that Dr. Schwab has, stakeholder capitalism, has at its core this idea that the sole purpose of a company shouldn't be only to make money. It should also be to enrich other stakeholders. That's why he calls it stakeholder capitalism. And the other stakeholders include the government, society, the environment, um, 
you know, the poor or every other stakeholder in the world that has something to benefit from your company. And so that's the idea there, right? Is you're not only beholden to shareholders, you also have to consider what is good for the planet, what's good for the government, what's good for your community, what's good for your country, and try to incorporate that into your company, into the decisions you make, into everything from what services you offer, the people you hire, the taxes you pay, the things you donate to, the politicians you support, all that. It, it, it has to be much more than just making money. And I think as a general idea, that's probably agreeable. I think there's a lot of people who would agree that maybe that's not a bad deal. Um, after all, we tax companies for a similar reason, right? The reason why we tax companies is so that we can use their tax money and do things like uh, you know, fund the Environmental Protection Agency or build highways or fund schools or whatever else and do whatever else good we think our government should do with, with, with taxation. I think that's one of the reasons why we have taxes anyway. This takes it a step further, right? And so stakeholder capitalism was around for a long time. And you know, from the early 70s, you know, Dr. Schwab has slowly been building consensus behind it until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, that's when the World Economic Forum was kind of thrust onto the world stage. Because even though like for a few years now, they've had a big following for a few years before COVID, when COVID hit, Dr. Schwab felt, hey, this is a great opportunity to advance some of these ideas, right? In other words, if we want to completely reimagine the way governments run and companies run and the way capitalism is structured and the way we redistribute wealth and all that, COVID-19 offers a great opportunity. And that's what he called the great reset. He goes, we don't want to have to wait a long time to make all these changes. We can just use COVID-19 and just make all these changes happen very quickly. And so that's when and again, like all these uh, these three screenshots here are from their website. So this isn't some crazy conspiracy theory. This isn't some Alex Jones type stuff that you get off the internet or whatever. These, I actually, I just took these screenshots earlier today from the World Economic Forum website. And so the Great Reset here, this is a direct quote from Dr. Schwab. It says, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Right. And you might think, okay, that's great. You know, uh, but what does it mean to reimagine and reset our world? That's, that's a very generic, very vague statement. Like, right? what does that mean when you reset? What do you mean reset the world? I mean, it, uh, and of course, he, uh, he offers a little bit of a, he doesn't offer a full prescription. He offers a little bit of, you know, a few tidbits here and there. Again, from the World Economic Forum website. Um, capitalism and socialism will need to merge, right? So this is Dr. Schwab saying, first, the slow death of capitalism does not equate to a resurgence of communism. However, rethinking capitalism or giving capitalism a great reset, as World Economic Forum Chairman Klaus Schwab has suggested, means that capitalism and socialism, socialism will need to merge to create a productive and inclusive economic and social model. Big words there. He doesn't really offer a picture of what that looks like, but it does hint at big changes to the way our society is structured today. Um, and you can see this one here, again, from the World Economic Forum, for example, the Great Reset must place social justice at its center. Okay, not sure what that means, but again, um, 
these are ideas that the World Economic Forum is putting forward. And another suggestion as to what a uh, capitalism plus socialism mix might look like is this idea of ESG. So ESG is an acronym. It stands for environmental, social, and governance. And Dr. Schwab has this idea that right now, when we look at the stock market, whatever, we look at companies and we just say, okay, is this company profitable or not, right? Is it making money? Is it not making money? And he says, that's not enough. We need to also measure companies on whether or not they contribute to the environment, whether or not the company contributes to social causes, and whether or not the company has good governance, right? Is the managers are doing a good job and what skin color and gender and religion the managers and leaders have. And um, is it trying to stop climate change? Um, is it supporting social causes uh, like Black Lives Matter, for example, you saw on the previous page, et cetera. And of course, company would have a long list of check marks and how your company rates against those, you get a score. And if you have a good score, you can be on the stock exchange. If you got a bad score, you can't be on the stock exchange. Uh, another one is, for example, pension funds, right? Um, a pension fund. Uh, Wait, when you yes. said this, you can't be on the stock exchange, you're still listed on the stock exchange. You're not listed on the S&P list though. So right now you can still be on the stock exchange. But again, these are ideas that the World Economic Forum is putting forward. So the oh, World so it's their idea that if you don't meet a specific index, then you can't even be listed? That's correct. That's that's kind of where they're going to. So the first step is they have created a list. That they're says a little nutty, in, don't you in, think? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not nuttiness. here to pass judgment, but... Um, that's fine. I'll pass judgment. I'm a little nutty. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Um, Anytime. Yes. I mean, I'm not an economist. I'm just, it's funny. I mean, it's just, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause, uh, and we'll get to a little later on, on why I think you, you might be onto something here, right? Is that my nuttiness? My, that's my technical term. No, but I think the question is, you know, this group is not elected, right? So, I mean, if I elect a politician and my politician goes to Washington and says, Hey, look, remove these uh, companies because, you know, they're not meeting our ESG targets or philosophies. Mm -hmm. That's fine. The challenge is this company is not elected right? this company, this group, World Economic Forum, this is just a bunch of rich people getting together to try to reimagine the world. And sure. So for example, the first step in this is they've created a list called the S&P 500 ESG index. So it's like which, so they give an ESG score to every company on the S&P 500, and they're encouraging some funds and some pension funds to say, hey, look, only pick those companies that have a high ESG score. And they're also encouraging big investors, like for example, Goldman Sachs, for example, is full in on this, where Goldman Sachs now has a mandate that says Goldman Sachs will only invest in companies that have a certain ESG score. Um, so wait, so let me get this straight. So they're creating this index that they decide what, who's on this index. And then they're telling other people, large investors, by the way, we created this index, you should invest in our index. Essentially, yes. Yeah. There's a little conflict of interest. Perhaps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just pointing that out. I'm pointing this out to anyone who didn't catch this. So let me let me let me just reframe this the way I'm seeing it. So you have a bunch of rich people who are going to get together. They're going to come up with these um, magical terms. What are the terms again? Um, ESG. What do they stand for? Remind me. Yeah. Environmental, social, and governance. Yeah. These these huggy wuggy terms. And then they're going to say, these companies meet these like cuddly terms. So 
We're going to put you on our index. And by the way, we define the index and which companies are going to be on the index. Oh, and by the way, if you really care about the world, you're going to invest in our index. That's correct. That's correct. I'm and not. I think so am I missing anything there? You're not missing anything. Yeah. And they're also, uh, they've actually done a very good job of convincing some of the biggest investors in the world, like BlackRock, like Goldman Sachs, um, to basically make these ESG um, standards their requirements. So for example, if you want to do business, business with BlackRock or you want to do business with Goldman Sachs or you want them to invest in your company, you have to have a, favor, a favorable ESG score that, yes, essentially the World Economic Forum decides who gets one of these favor, favorable scores. Okay, I have this magic tulip that will be worth $500 in 10 days. Do you want to buy this tulip? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, good. Um, I just want to make sure I was not um, misunderstanding what you're telling me. No, I think you you understand it perfectly well. Um, Do you like my term huggy wuggy? I don't disagree. No. <laughs> okay, good. All right. All right. And you know what? And, and Chris, and I put this headline here from Fortune Magazine from earlier this year. Yeah, you can see it's May mm -hmm. 2022, where basically Tesla got a very low ESG score and was kicked off this S&P 500 ESG index. But ExxonMobil one of the world's biggest oil companies was in the top 10 of that list. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Um, and so that's why uh, the, actually the environmental electric car company is going to get booted and the oil company is going to stay on there. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, exactly. The company that's leading this transition away from fossil fuels uh, gets booted because they don't have a high enough ESG score, but ExxonMobil uh, was, didn't just get a high, they were in the top 10. I mean, they got glowing marks. And actually, um, you know, for those who follow Elon Musk, he tweeted quite extensively on this. Um, and, and you can imagine what, you know, Elon doesn't hold back on Twitter or anything else. And uh, you, can, you can imagine Elon's opinion of this whole ESG thing. But um, this is very real. This is real. It is real. It is real. Lots of things that are real that maybe <laughs> lots of things are real that, that are funny. All right. So this is one of the first things they're, they're pushing. And then, of course, this is the one that came out a few years back, and this is where they went viral. So we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And as you saw the earlier quote, the World Economic Forum was just really busy reimagining how they're going to reset the world. By saying you'll own nothing. And they came up with a commercial. Like This was a real commercial. It was on social media. It's actually a video. And this is a little screenshot from the video. And their world, like their vision of the future is you'll own nothing. And you'll be happy. You know who owns nothing? Poor people who own no food. So they never really clarified this. Like, what does that mean? You own nothing. That means you don't have a house. That means you're living in like a bridge somewhere or someone else's house that you have to pay rent to. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know exactly uh, what their vision is or how they expect people to be happy when they own nothing. Um, but this, this is what they, this is what they're pitching. Well, someone has to own it. My guess yeah. is they will own it. To save you from materialism, and it's a, it'll it's take a good, all your goods. I think, and that's that's a lot of the. That's what that's the conclusion a lot of people are jumping to, right? Because if you have the wealthiest people in the world, and and you'll see the list very shortly here in a few minutes yep. of the wealthiest people in the world who are showing up to these meetings and are loving this idea, and you're thinking, well, why would the wealthiest people in the world be all this excited about owning nothing? Well, they're not saying they won't own nothing. They're saying you will own nothing. <laughs> Bingo. That's <laughs> you bingo. own nothing. They won't own anything. You will own nothing. Bingo. Right. Um, 
And so that's exactly the same conclusion pretty much everybody's jumping to, right? Um, but yeah, so this is the one where like this got a lot of people excited. Like, what? wait, whoa, wait, wait, what? I'm going to own nothing and I'll be happy. And this is your vision by the year 2030. This is like, this is just around the corner here. So, all right. So this is where, again, up to this point, we were just talking about some professor in Switzerland who has a get together with his friends every year. So what, right? There's like a million get togethers every year. You know, what's the big deal? I have a Christmas party where I have some crazy idea. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that over the last 10, 15 years, this thing has blown up. So it is now the biggest gathering in the world, maybe perhaps. I think I think it's bigger than even the United Nations. It's probably the biggest gathering of world leaders and of influential people from around the world. So just to, again, this is from the World Economic Forum website. Like they're not, this is not conspiracy. They're not hiding this. They're announcing it because they're proud of it. More than 50 heads of state, um, 300 governmental representatives from around the world, 1,250 leaders from the private sector. So these are companies, over a thousand leaders from big companies, a hundred global innovators and technology pioneers. These are like some of the biggest names in tech. And you have 200 leaders from NGOs, social entrepreneurs and academia, labor organizations, faith-based religious groups, 400 media leaders, and also a hundred members of the forum's global, sharper, and young global leader community. We'll talk a little, about, a, a little bit about that as well. But basically, they bring together everyone. Everyone who's influential in government, influential in business, influential in media, influential you know, in NGOs, anybody who has a voice gets together and loves this thing. You can see this list here is a list of all the American government representatives who attended in person in Davos earlier this year. It's usually a once a year gigantic gathering. Um, but I mean, you got everybody, you got John Kerry, right? You got Al Gore, you have congressmen, you have senators, you have governors of states. Um, I mean, you can count how many, it's it's well over- It's a lot of people that want you to own nothing. It's a lot of people who want you to own nothing and be happy. Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of people who believe in ESG, apparently a lot of people who love the idea of merging socialism and capitalism. Um, and so this is one of the, I mean, you can find pictures like this all over the place, but yeah, out of the thousands of people that go, for example, you can see on the left, John Kerry, um, he is the envoy. I, th I think his title is something like climate chief climate envoy of, of, of the government or something. Um, and of course that's Bill Gates in the middle. And on the right, that's uh, Ruth Porat. She's the chief financial officer of Alphabet, also known as Google. And so these are the kind of uh, very wealthy, very influential billionaires um, in the case of Bill Gates. Um, for example, um, very wealthy, very powerful, very influential people who show up. That's, I mean, Ruth Porat, she's a CFO of Alphabet, for example. So um, very powerful individuals who show up in person and give speeches and, and uh, move this forward. This got a lot of people excited. A few years ago, that's Klaus Schwab there. Um, Klaus Schwab gave a speech and he was quite proud and happy that half of the members of the Canadian government, in other words, the Canadian cabinet. So these are the most senior people in the Canadian government, people who hold, who hold cabinet posts, right? So um, Minister of Finance, Minister of Labor, Minister of Environment, like the most powerful people in the Canadian government 
half of them came through the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders Program. So Dr. Schwab has had a, a program for a few decades now where he takes young, promising politicians um, and basically puts them through their, I don't know if it's like a World Economic Forum boot camp or some ideological thing, but basically it's it's a young global leaders program. And now that those individuals graduate, they go back and pursue their political careers. And what do you know, half of them are now essentially in the Canadian cabinet. So um, this actually got a lot of people very nervous in Canada to the point where it actually triggered a uh, a government inquiry as to, whoa, wait a minute, like who's actually running the government here? It's, it, it, it's the Canadian voters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't just Canada, like in that speech, I mean, this is from a Canadian newspaper, this article, but um, I think in this speech, he also bragged, there was a couple of different countries like Canada and Australia and a few others where he was basically very proud of the fact that about you know half of the government essentially <laughs> is uh, coming through the World Economic Forum. So they're not fringe. They are very influential. Big companies and increasingly governments are signing up to their ideas. And what I find fascinating about them is, I mean, if you just go back 20 years, right, or whatever, and you mentioned to somebody the phrase, oh, there's this uh, group of people who uh, you know meet uh, secretly every year and they want to try to control the world, like you would instantly be branded a conspiracy theorist, right? I mean, you know, all the Freemasons are controlling the world and, you know, Jewish bankers and, uh, you know, the Bilderbergers, like that was instantly dismissed as, you know, tinfoil hat, whatever, like, you know, batshit crazy <laughs> conspiracy stuff. And this group is not secretive. They're wide open. They have a website, they publish books. You can, anyone can go uh, see their videos. Like it's wide out, like wide open in, in the public. And Maybe that's part of their genius is they realize they don't have to be secretive. They can just be like out in the open and they just basically get media to be on their side. And um, basically anybody who is influential at some point gets invited, like Bono from YouTube, for example, was invited, you know, because uh, he's kind of like an activist kind of person that a lot of people look up to and, and et cetera. So yes, this is uh, the World Economic Forum uh, and it's it's real. And if you haven't heard about them yet, you will. <laughs> this is, uh, I don't think they're going away anytime soon. Probably not. So the other thing, of course, is um, for those who uh, listen listen to Chris's Get Healthy 360 podcast, um, we had a fantastic guest on there a week or so ago named Daniel Kwok from the Kwok Brothers podcast. And he is also, he's the one that actually mentioned the World Economic Forum to us in that podcast. And so that's when uh, Chris and I had the idea, hey, look, why don't we just do a, a podcast on this to learn more about what the World Economic Forum is? And so that's why I started doing some of the uh, the background search on them. And uh, I was quite surprised by what I found, not only because it exists, but, but just how far they've gotten. So this is not a fringe movement. This is not you know a bunch of people shaking their fist uh, at the powers that be. Uh, they are at the center of power. They're very real. And I think they're uh, working very hard to change the world, or maybe they already have, and we just haven't really understood exactly how, but um, interesting stuff. I think that's the dangerous thing about new ideas. When new ideas start that have the impact, the ability to impact the world and people ignore it and don't take it seriously, that's when um, bad things happen. And you can look at history, and sometimes there are these niche little tiny groups 
that then grow into large scary groups and um, lots of really bad things can happen. And history is full of these small groups that then become large influential groups. So I think everyone should pay attention. And I would say probably get involved in the political process and really look at who you are electing or endorsing to lead your country, state, region, municipality, etc. Yeah, plus one to that. I agree completely. And, you know, it, it is something that sooner or later, like you can only ignore this for so long before, um, before it starts to impact your life. And also the other thing that worries me is there's this group that obviously has enormous influence and the people who are making these decisions, coming up, coming up with these ideas are not elected, right? Mm-hmm. And so they they have this agenda where, yeah, they can legitimize their ideas and they can bring their ideas to reality by involving people who are elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is very much outside the control of the electorate and the democratic process. So, uh, you know, um, yeah. That's I think that kind of speaks for itself. I don't know what else I can I can say or or add to this. Um there's that saying the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist and I think a lot of people will scoff at this and say well it's just a conspiracy theory things like this don't really happen but it's actually happening and the fact that they're making um real plays economic plays on the like this their S&P and their impacting um where funds put their money i think that's a huge thing because that can ne- negatively impact um really important companies absolutely which, absolutely which, and it may not stop the influential companies but it may slow their growth to the point where companies you don't really want are taking their place or taking the lead but stay in i would i would just say stay informed and keep up to date that's exactly it i think that's really all the average voter can do just uh, try to stay informed and try to make informed decisions about what is best for you, right? That's if, if, if voters get there, I think that's, that's, that's really the best, best we can do as a, as the average person. Um, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, this thing can have far reaching implications. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. That was a fantastic presentation. Thank you very much. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Sounds good. All right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.